0: Welcome to Canada's Most Irreverent Talk Show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Hello and welcome to you all. This is The Andrew Lawton Show, Canada's most irreverent talk show here on True North. Uh, A bit of a special edition of the program. I have been roused from my vacation. Now, I'm not actually on vacation. I, I took a week off because I'm working on a book, but I didn't want to pass up the opportunity to talk to Preston Manning, who was tapped by the government of Alberta under Danielle Smith to be the chair of the Public Health Emergencies Governance Review Panel. Now, Now, this was a process that looked at Alberta's declaration of a provincial emergency for the COVID era and some of the policies and interventions and mechanisms that came about under the auspices of that emergency. Now, we know what those are, shutdowns of schools, of the economy, implementation of vaccine passports, uh, very contentious policies that in large part led to, I think, the ousting of Jason Kenney as the UCP leader and then the introduction of a leadership race that elected Daniel. Smith. But the Alberta government tapped Preston Manning to chair a panel to look into this chapter in the province's history. Now the report just came out moments ago and in it there are a number of recommendations that go to the definition of emergency, that go to strengthening Alberta's support for civil liberties of rights and freedoms, that go to limiting and almost eliminating not quite school closures. We'll talk about that in a little bit of time. So I've had the opportunity to go through an embargoed copy of the report, and I wanted to talk about its recommendations and the broader landscape of Alberta's emergency management in this special edition of the program. And we go to this discussion to Preston Manning, who is the chair of the Public Health Emergencies Governance Review Panel and the author of this report, also a legend and institution in Canadian politics and Alberta politics. It's always good to talk to him. Preston, good to talk to you. Thanks for coming on today. Oh, well, thanks for having me, Andrew. Uh, so let's start off, uh, firstly, with your role here. I, I know you were originally chairing the the citizen-led inquiry, and then uh, Premier Danielle Smith had uh, tapped you to lead this panel. What was your mandate coming into this process? Well,
1: the, the main purpose, Andrew, and it's, it's good for people to understand this, this was not a panel to look into everything that the government did with respect to COVID. It had a legislative focus. And to put it in a big, long sentence, our mandate was to investigate the legislation that authorized the orders and regulations whereby the government responded to COVID and to suggest amendments to that legislation or additional legislation which would better prepare the province for the next emergency. So in one long sentence, that's what our job was. It was basically a legislative one. And I think the reason the Premier asked me to do it, our families had... 55 years experience with legislation, Alberta's particularly, but also in the federal parliament. And and this was a legislative panel. So I, I was asked to chair it and was more than willing to do that.
0: Uh, obviously the uh, and the report makes no bones about this the uh, the emergency declaration the emergency orders in Alberta did uh, infringe on civil liberties they did infringe on on people's mobility rights their autonomy rights and the the report makes clear that there wasn't really much judicial recourse available to people because the courts were very deferential whenever uh, these challenges could be heard Uh, do you make a a finding that uh, these uh, suspensions of, of civil liberties were justified or not?
1: Well, the way we come at it is that there has to be a balance between the protection of the citizen from the harm of the emergency, but also the protection of their rights and freedoms under emergency conditions. Because as you say, they are strained by the 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 response orders. So what we can't deal with the I mean, I I have ideas on how you would change the federal charter, but that that is not an easy process. But what Alberta can do is, uh, is amend the Alberta Bill of Rights to strengthen the protection of rights and freedoms to which that legislation applies. And uh, we have about 20 proposed amendments to the uh, Alberta Bill of Rights to specifically Strengthen that, and of course, that that statute gives direction to the courts. You know, if you're a lawyer and you're just bringing a case before the court, all you can do is argue within the law as it is now. But legislators can give direction to the courts, and this gives direction that we got to get a better balance between protecting from harm and protecting rights and freedoms.
0: The panel has also recommended an amendment to the definition of emergency. And I I was wondering if you could speak to why you felt the current definition didn't quite serve Albertans in this context.
1: Well, I I don't, nobody envisioned a province-wide emergency of this kind. Our legislation doesn't envision it. The the section of the Public Health Act dealing with the powers of the Chief Medical Officer of Health was basically focused on how to deal with local emergencies. There's a a disease outbreak break in Smoky Lake or there's uh, a problem at a hospital in, in Lethbridge or something like that. So our, our legislation, nor does the Education Act, the Education Act never envisioned the, the government having to think about shutting down the system. In fact, mm-hmm. Education Act is all thrust the other way. How do you keep the schools open? So Uh, One of our recommendations, and it's not just on public emergencies, there's a number of these areas where we ought to clarify the definition. What do we mean by a province-wide public emergency? Uh, What do we mean by professional conduct or misconduct in an emergency? Uh, A lot of these phrases have never been defined in terms of a emergency and we we suggest that a lot of statutes have a the, you know the first clause of them, and the second clause is a definitional clause and so we say maybe we should sharpen up those definitions
0: uh, do you feel that alberta was too quick or too broad in declaring the emergency or in classifying what covid was as an emergency
1: well, it's it's you know it's hard to be judgmental after the after the fact. A lot of these decisions were made with incomplete information. They were made with an eye on what the federal government was doing and ordering, and what they might finance in terms of emergency measures. So I wouldn't sort of much pass judgment on that, but just say that in the future we could be better prepared, and one of the steps would be better prepared is a definition of what a public emergency is. <laughs>
0: Well, on that note, I, I, I've heard you know certain criticisms uh, such as, uh, for example, from David Redmond that Alberta had uh, an approach to emergency management that really wasn't followed. And I, I was wondering if that was, in your view, an accurate assessment of the problem or if really the issue was that the preparations really didn't serve the situation that Alberta found itself in and, and Canada found itself in. Well,
1: I think in. what David is getting at now because he, he was the, the head of that agency a number yes. of years ago. And, and that agency back in his day it was bigger than it was is today, and then uh, during the Klein era when uh, uh, Ralph was trying to re- reduce expenditures in that the. Uh, the emergency management agency was was reduced in size and reduced in capability. And so that, that's partly the rationale behind our recommendation. A, that we think that's the agency that should have the overall coordinating responsibility. But if you're going to say that, then you've got to give it the horsepower and the resources in order to do that. And it doesn't quite have that now. That would be something the government have to decide to do. And we, we put that in perspective, too, that we, we have an appendix on what what were some of the what were the consequences of the economic uh, lockdown measures and the social distancing mm. measures uh, on the economy that that produced an 8% contraction of a 300 billion dollar gdp economy 8% of 300 billion is 24 billion dollars worth mm. damage so if you could prevent that or, or or better manage the response to it by beefing up the uh, emergency management agency, you know, you could ask, or they could ask, well, what's it worth to you to try to prevent $24 billion worth of damage to your economy? Maybe spending a little bit more on our agency would be the right direction to go.
0: Well, in one area where the the panel's recommendations are clear, and I I think the Premier has also spoken about this, is that the buck has to stop with the government. And and this was, I I think, a huge breakdown. We saw this complete abdication of decision-making authority to public health officials who have a a very narrow mandate and focus, and more importantly, were, were not elected to shepherd provinces through any emergency situation.
1: Well and as the the courts the lower courts pointed out the, the, the there's a section in the Public Health Act that actually gave the chief medical officer of health almost exclusive jurisdiction over emergency now of course that act did not envision a province wide health mm-hmm. emergency that they, they thought, it was
0: it was a very targeted you know regional yeah, outbreak for yeah, example yeah
1: yeah and so we we've recommended a change to that statute that the, in the end of the day the elected people have the final responsibility for the orders and regulations that are put out and, and there's actually we, we you can borrow wording from other provinces manitoba has a section 67 of its public health act says exactly that the, the same thing as the government is in that bill bill six that they've put forward
0: uh, you mentioned school closures earlier. This has been, I, I think, one of the more contentious issues uh, when we've discussed the the post pandemic effect, and I, I think one of the ones where we're we're probably going to see the most harm that was caused by government intervention versus harm that was reduced or mitigated. Now, your recommendation in, in this panel's report here is to I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to paraphrase it incorrectly. You, you don't eliminate the possibility of a school closure, but you certainly say it should be an absolute last resort and for as short a time as possible. But does that not still leave us in the same problem we were at, which is that it's up to the discretion of people as to whether or not to close the schools and for how long?
1: Well, we tried to be as strong as we could on that, and th- th- this is an area where you're almost getting an international consensus. A lot of other countries have looked at this and come to the same conclusion, that the damage that you do by closing down mm-hmm. the school system s- simply doesn't, uh, uh, in-, in comparison to the benefits you get, it's just simply not worth doing. The-, the The reason we didn't totally shut the door is because somebody will say to you, what if there was a virus that only attacked children between the ages of 6 and 18. Well, like, wh- what if that had happened? Wouldn't you have to do something extraordinary? So we didn't close the door uh, 100%. We we closed it 98% because somebody can always come up with, well, there might be some kind of a circumstance, but it would be very rare. And, and to be fair to Alberta, the, the, the biggest closure was from March 20 to the end of that school year, or March 2020 to the end of that school year, that they did close the schools twice after that, but for very short periods of time. And I think they'd already come to the conclusion that, look, the, the damage that's done by this outweighs any kind of benefit.
0: Yeah. And, and ultimately, I mean, schools were not viewed as an essential service. And I, I think that's one of the recommendations you've made, that they certainly should be.
1: Yeah. And we we actually propose, like the Alberta Education Act doesn't actually establish the right to an education. It has a little bit Mm. about the right to access to an education. So we tried to beef that up, too, that this is a fundamental. The reason it wasn't there is because everybody took it for granted. Of course, you have a right to an education. But these days we're saying, if that's what you mean, you better specify it in the statute.
0: Uh, One of the most contentious aspects of, I'd say, Alberta's response was the introduction of vaccine passports. Now, I I think part of this was, I'd say, because of the political context. Premier Jason Kenney at the time had had taken that off the table previously before ultimately doing it. Uh, What's the recommendation on an intervention like that?
1: Well, if you strengthen the bill of rights uh, the the way we're talking about, it, it would make it pretty difficult to impose a measure of that kind. Because we're talking about the uh, protection, the the right uh, uh, protection against uh, medical interventions uh, in, in which the recipient does not agree. So, if you strengthen those rights provisions of the bill, you'd make it a lot more difficult to. Uh, implement those types of measures. And there'd have to be a much greater justification, including the justification before the courts, before you could do that.
0: Uh, And obviously, uh, this is a a recommendation you're putting towards the province. Have you gotten from the government a commitment to uh, accept all of these yet? (laughs)
1: <laughs> no, I think I, if I put on my political hat, if I was a government, and I think this will be their position, that they'll say thank you for this report. There's obviously some recommendations here that we agree with and we'll go ahead with. There'll be others that we would want to study a little further before we went that direction. And there may be some measures in that report that say, you know, we see where you're suggesting we go, but we've chosen to go a different direction. I, I think that'll be their posture, and it's a pretty reasonable one. But our, our hope, this has not been done as an academic exercise, like this report is not being done just to have a report and have it reported in the, some learned journal and a conference held on it next year. The, hmm. the point of this report is to get amendments that would actually provide a, a better response for Alberta in the future and to get those amendments to, through the cabinet, through the caucus and, and onto the floor of the legislature and voted on. I'll feel we've done our job when those amendments are are voted on and hopefully a lot of them passed.
0: I mean, one of the arguments we've heard from the federal government, even in the course of, of some of the court fights over the Emergencies Act, is that things like emergencies are are so fact-dependent, they're so dependent on the situation at hand, that it's very difficult to come up with a general set of principles that will apply to every situation. I mean, as we were discussing earlier, this was not envisioned as an emergency before it came about. So is there a risk that whatever the next emergency looks like, we're going to still go back to zero regardless of this? Because every Everyone's going to say, "Well, this is different from COVID because of X."
1: Well, you could. Well, one practical recommendation that we make is do when we suggest mandated in legislation is do impact assessments on these proposed response measures. And there's three types of impact assessments you could do: a preliminary one. If you're thinking of locking down the Alberta economy by four percent, you you can you don't have all the information and yet it, but but. Asking the question, what would the impact be on the economy in terms of employment or in in terms of GDP would not be a bad question to ask. So do these preliminary ones. And then if you've implemented something, after three months or four months, you can do an interim impact assessment. Is this doing what we thought it would do? Or is there other effects we didn't even know about? And then you could do a post crisis impact assessment that would be you'd really learn what the lessons are so that that one practical measure ought to make the the next response more 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 attuned to the situation and you try to reduce some of the uncertainty by doing these impact assessments. And we point out there's legislation, our Environmental Protection Act actually mandates impact assessments in a different area, but it's not unreasonable to require impact assessments and to mandate them through uh, legislation.
0: Was there any evidence that that was being done even in a a less formalized way with, with these interventions?
1: Well, there may have been, but uh, and we might not have been privy to that, but I think there's more that that, that could be done. And p- part of the problem was that this was seen originally as just a health emergency, and with was not a lot of thought, to, well, what's the economic consequences mm-hmm. of that? What, what, what are the educational consequences? What are the social consequences? That was really not thought about much. So uh, I, I don't think there was the kind of impact assessments as broad as that that, that could or should have been done.
0: So I guess the the big question here if we take the bigger picture view on on this and I'll, I'll lean on your experience in federal politics here. I know you were focused on the Alberta picture and the Alberta story, but but in your view what was Alberta a unique case in any way or or could a lot of these recommendations really be generalized to other provinces?
1: Well, uh, yeah, I th- I think they they could be generalized to other provinces, a lot of these act like the Public Health Act, the Education Act, at least on the prairie provinces, the statutes in Saskatchewan and Manitoba are very similar to ours. So these, this could have broader implications. And and I know this is beyond our, our mandate, but I feel that the federal government's response could have been a lot sharper than it was, too. But our mandate was to stick to Alberta. So we're sticking to Alberta.
0: Well, but on that note, I mean, one of the issues that we saw, and and this came up in Alberta's response to the federal invocation of the Emergencies Act, was that it really was intervening in provinces' ability to handle their own emergency affairs, and I I was wondering if there is a a federalism component to this, of of Alberta being able to assert more of a role for its provincial emergency management when the federal government is looking at something in that context.
1: Well, in, in the end of the day, in a health emergency, I mean, health is assigned to the, is a provincial jurisdiction, so the, the provinces ought to be able to lead in that area. Well, one of the worries, too, is that these things get studied, and there are recommendations that happen, and then they're never followed up on. Mm-hmm. You might recall that there was the SARS, uh, it wasn't exactly a pandemic, but with the SARS incident in 2003. And the federal government set up an inquiry into that, headed up by Dr. Naylor, who was the Dean of Medicine at the University of Toronto. And he did this 300 page report. In which he said Health Canada was not capable because of its size and its bureaucratic nature, and he, yes, he said because it's political, it was not capable of responding quickly enough and effectively enough to an emergency. And then he suggested you got to set up a special agency, and that's where the Public Health Agency for Canada came from. But it was never hmm. beefed up in order to 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 do what it should have been able to do. So you get these incidents, you get studies, you get recommendations of how to fix it. But if they're not followed up on, which the federal government didn't in that case, uh, all that effort is sort of wasted, you know.
0: Well, you've now served up the report, so the ball is now in the Alberta government's court, but uh, I feel you have given them, and and I'd say Albertans and and Canadians, uh, some useful food for thought here. Preston Manning is the chair of the Public Health Emergencies Governance Review Panel. Uh, Thank you very much for your time and work on this, Preston. I I know you could be just enjoying your retirement on a beach somewhere, but uh, uh, the the call for service came and, and you answered it, and I think we're very grateful for that. Well,
1: thank you, Andrew. Good to talk to you.
0: All right, and you, sir. That was Preston Manning. Let me know what you think in the comments there. And again, I mean, I would say uh, what Preston has talked about in the report is very measured. Obviously, it had a very narrow focus and mandate, but I would love to see other provinces take this up. And I would say it's a a tremendous source of shame that there has been so little desire to look inwardly on this. I think a lot of people, for understandable reasons, want to just move on from the pandemic, say it happened, it sucked, we move on, and that's that. But a lot of things happen governments got away with a lot for which there has really been no review or re-evaluation and I think it's tremendously shameful and I'm glad Alberta has decided to do that. Now part of this because was because they had a change in government. A lot of governments don't want to look at themselves because they don't want the uh, results to come and say well here's all the ways that you screwed up so uh, the Alberta government has said look this is uh, I think something we need to look into. They've done this. I think it's incumbent upon Danielle Smith to be very transparent about how she will respond to these recommendations. So um, my thanks again to Preston Manning for being available. You can read that report on the Alberta government's website. It just came out at uh, 11 a.m. Mountain Time, 1 p.m. Eastern. That was the start of this show. So that was uh, that you can go and uh, read that now. Have some nice uh, midweek reading as the week progresses here. That does it for us. We will be back next week with regularly scheduled programming here on The Andrew Lawton Show, Canada's most irreverent talk show on True North. Thank you. God bless and